You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Today's reading is Enough by Andrew DeFay. You are enough. Divinity flows in your fingertips with light so radiant. Every beat of your heart, a victory march, made of whole universes, stitched by the hand of creation with flawless design. A prophecy you fulfill perfectly with every breath. You. The sun wouldn't shine the same without it. Creation is only waiting for you to smile back at it. Do you see it yet? You are enough for the birds to sing about, for the seeds to sprout about, for the stars to shoot about. Do you see it yet? Gardens in your speech, fields of wildflowers in your prayers, lighthouses in your eyes. No one else can see it for you. You have always been enough. You will always be enough. Your simple act of being is enough. Do you see it yet? That was enough by Andrew DeFay. It is good to be together this frosty Sunday morning. Now, I say that nearly every week in some way, shape, or form, and I mean it. This moment this gathering, every time unique in its own right, yet somehow familiar, sanctuary. It might sound a little odd, but I swear every time I am in a Unitarian Universalist church service, yes, even here right now, I can still smell the wood paneling of the Unitarian church of my youth, hundreds of years old, every Sunday. I can hear the creak of the ancient weird chair-pew hybrids they had. I can smell the coffee wafting from the basement fellowship room. I can hear the minister's voice, who is now departed. All of that and so much more comes alive for me here, just as your own adventures and stories can as well. For me, it's these simple sense memories like that that take me to somewhere beyond home to a place where I remember that what we do here is, yes, it is about friend groups, it's about the social events, it's about the potlucks, it's about tending the grounds and all of that. But there's something that goes deeper, right into the marrow of your bones. And my hope for any of us is to discover that here, somewhere. And the good news is that it's not something otherworldly or secret. It's available to us right now, that feeling. 
Now, it all sounds all too romantic, so perfect. But as I inch closer, having been a minister for 12 years sometime this year, nine of them here, three elsewhere, I, know, I now know just how much absolute chaos there is in creating this weird thing we call church. So when I talk about those sense feelings and lovely, beautiful memories, there is plenty of chaos in it, too. And yet the chaos itself is also part of the charm. I could recount the stories all day. If you get the entire UUCL staff in one room, we could write a few books. There was the time where several staff members chased a groundhog throughout our building. (laughs) A little snorting groundhog darting here and there. They're faster than you think. There was the bat in the sanctuary. Yes, this sanctuary flying around circles one night as I frantically texted people, all in caps, as if that would help, about what to do. The bat found its way out after I opened all the doors, and it dive-bombed me a few times. Whoosh! There have been several mornings where the lights start flickering for who knows why. Projectors stop working, sometimes we know why. Sound systems mysteriously get entirely out of whack. I think gremlins are real. Pipes and toilets have exploded. The water runs a dark amber color. A hawk flies through a window. The coffee grinder stops working, which is the greatest tragedy of them all. There's a weird smell throughout the building coming from, well, we don't really know where it's from and we've never found it anyway. And there's no baby Jesus for the Christmas pageant. But that one isn't so bad where you use, we wing it. (laughs) There have been times the minister in his rush to get to this pulpit has gone stuck in his office door because his stole, this strip of cloth around me, gets trapped in the door. A page of a sermon doesn't print, or the printer decides it hates our intern minister for some reason again. That is just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) And it's not a list of complaints. It's a list of just some minor things, really. Some of them happened one after the other, a nonstop stream of occurrences. Others only happened if any of us uttered the dreadful sentence, usually me, on a Sunday morning, Wow, we're ready for service early. (laughs) There are far more bizarre things than I can share here. Some of you know them. Some will remain secret for some time. But many Sundays, I often turn to at least one of our staff members or worship associates and remark, it is a miracle Sundays happen at all. And you know what? I absolutely love that. I somehow feel that I can do no other but love the chaos. The hardest part of it all is that up until this moment, many of you didn't hear about the groundhog, the bat, the missing baby Jesus. Some of you are wishing right now you could see me get stuck in my office door. It hasn't happened in a long time. Maybe this is one of those great axioms of life. Maybe, just maybe, Enough chaos leads to something wonderful and serene. I'm thinking of the times when that has happened. One of my favorite Sunday services in recent memory was last March after that intense windstorm that blew throughout all of Kentucky, and many of us lost power for days. This church did too. My sermon, in the midst of being typed but not saved, is lost. 
still is. And we arrived here, no power, no sermon, nothing. But still we had a wondrous, wondrous service together. We talked about empathy and compassion. The gathering was smaller. For many of you, I fear, we're still cleaning out your refrigerators. And yet, it was the heart of what we do. It was a community coming alive amidst the chaos. Now, I try to tell myself that when it does hit the fan, and it does, it keeps doing so. Because without fail, those minor moments of chaos and the ones I've yet to tell you, someday, this community still comes alive. People rally to fill in the gaps, to make things not whole, but holy. To use what we have available to us with whatever comes our way. In those instances, we discover that we have everything we need, even amidst uncertainty, amidst our plans not unfolding in the way that we wanted them to, amidst the bewildering and the bizarre too. Life is like this. Life is like this even when we think we have it all together. There's always something. It's not always horrible, and yet, those are the ones we remember most. I find myself increasingly trying, and the key word is trying, to remember those moments. To remember that when life fell apart, sometimes in very simple ways, sometimes in tragic ways, and something wonderful still happened. To remember that it is not an evil thing for all things to fall apart. That when I feel that I have nothing, I really have more than I could imagine. And no, this isn't a crash course in manifesting, though if that works for you, I'm very happy for you. This isn't about praying away pain or tragedy or that old saying, onward and upward forever, or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not about that at all. This is about that moment when we can start to believe, no matter what, that we are enough. I recently finished an eight-week deep dive into a book by the late Bernie Glassman, who was a Zen teacher who founded Zen Peacemakers International. It was formed in 1994 to address issues of the AIDS crisis, homelessness, poverty in Yonkers, New York. But it was also a way of beginning what was called the Engaged Buddhist Movement, which in short means get up off of your cushion and get into the world. Much like churches say, get out of the pews or get out of the chairs, right? So this class, which is not my usual thing, I'm not really a long book discussion person, but I was joined by eight other individuals from across the world, one in Israel, one in South Africa, some in places I can't remember, a few from England, Ireland. And it became less about a book and more about our lives, thank goodness. It was focused on Bernie Glassman's book called Instructions to the Cook which in turn was based on someone named Dogen's All Instructions to the Cook, which he wrote in the 13th century. And it's a list of instructions in excruciating detail for Zen monastery cooks, roughly 6,200 words long, or the length of about three sermons, if you wanna want that in your mind. And it details all of the responsibilities of the cook. Sounds like a page turner, doesn't it? <laughs> You can't wait to read it. <laughs> now, Dogen was a famous Zen master whose writings are still heavily respected, and his most famous is something called the Shobogenzo, 1,400-page text on how to practice. If you want to read it together, let's talk. 
But back to cooking instructions. It is exactly what you think it is going to be. And it begins quite simply. Dogen writes, the duties of the cook over the course of a single day and night are as follows. And 6,200 words follows. And from there, we're in for a riveting journey about how much rice, how many ladles, set up cooking times, how many bows you should take before you serve the meals to the other monks, and so on. Now, many of you know I'm a very proud nerd, and I find it to be absolutely glorious. <laughs> the precision required while preparing gruel and rice. But Dogen immediately starts throwing in some wisdom. Treat every meal, he says, knowing it's not just for the monks, that it is an imperial feast every time. Treat utensils such as tongs and ladles and all other implements and ingredients with equal respect. Handle all things with sincerity, picking them up and putting them down with courtesy. I never knew a sentence about tongs and ladles could sound so beautiful. Handle all things with sincerity, with courtesy. The sincerity and courtesy extends to the, when the monastery cook returns to their quarters for the evening after a day full of cooking and service. And Dogen continues his instructions. He says, close your eyes immediately when you're done cooking and you lay down in your bed. Close them immediately and imagine every monk in the monastery. Every monk in the dining hall, every monk in the infirmary, every monk of high or low rank, retired monks, novices, and yes, even wandering monks out in the world, monks in distant lands, monks in temples you'll never, ever meet. In this work, we're not just talking about cooking. We're talking about what really matters here. But Dogen being the person he was and knowing human beings like to think things through, and obsess over the details. <laughs> he continues with this next wonderful piece. So after imagining every monk in the world, what do you think he asks the monks to contemplate next? Any ideas? Rice! <laughs> Was that what you were thinking of? <laughs> Grains of rice, to be exact. Here's what he says to do. He writes, now carefully calculate for every grain of rice to be eaten, one grain must be supplied. If a single grain of rice is divided, then you will have two half grains of rice. Three tenths, four tenths, one half, two halves. If you supply two half grains of rice, then you'll make a single whole grain. Or supply nine tenths and see how many tenths you still have. Now take back nine tenths and see how many tenths are still there. <laughs> Did you follow that? Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> I don't think many of us could. Or if you did... You couldn't keep up for long if it kept on like that. What's more satisfying, calculating single grains of rice eaten or imagining all the people your humble work could benefit? And right there is the heart of the matter. The nitty-gritty details do matter, yes, but we do not stay there long. The amount of ladles and grains of rice as a monastery cook surely matter but it opens up from there into something beautiful, into what is really at the heart of all things. Like a congregation that has what feels like endless little jobs, all important, all with details that matter, 
but also jobs that are only satisfying when we pause to realize that they're, they are so much more than the job itself. Serving coffee, if you want to go there, each bean of coffee is hospitality, welcome, and home. Flowers adorning our sanctuary, each petal a window to peace, calm, and hope, and so on and so on and so on. We are all cooks in the kitchen. Maybe not Zen monastery cooks preparing gruel, but still, it's not that different. Because like it or not, what we have in this moment, right here, are the ingredients we get to work with in being here and creating community. That is what Dogen is getting at. It's about the ingredients. Yes, the rice, but also what the cook brings to each moment. Life ingredients, what you have, what I have. Will those ingredients of life change over time? Yeah, of course, we hope. But no matter what, there's only now. Understanding that, and then Dogen's very long instructions to the cook opens up into something profound. It becomes a manual for living life and not just cooking morning gruel. It's not about counting rice. Who can do that with every single grain? It's about remembering what really matters. And like our examples earlier, it's not about dwelling in minor mishaps or even major mishaps. It's about trusting that no matter what, we have what we need, always, to make this community come alive and thrive. So what ingredients do you have to work with in your life? I guarantee you've got something. What do you bring to, as Bill talked about earlier, the potluck of community? For me, this all brings up a very familiar European folk story. You've probably heard it in some way, shape, or form. It's in children's books and talked about often and on memes. It's called stone soup. Who's heard of that, right? Yeah, you've heard of that. So if you haven't, right, here's how it goes. There's travelers, and they have nothing to eat, but one of them says, Aha! I'll put this stone in a soup pot, and we'll have stone soup. Everyone else thought the traveler was absurd. But no, the traveler says. I just need to go around to the other folks here and ask them to contribute a little something for the garnish of stone soup. And voila, one after the other, they have a wonderful soup by the end. Now, if you're from a Scandinavian background, it's not called stone soup. A common phrase in uh, Sweden particularly is koka sopa pa speak. You got that? All right. Make soup from a nail. Meaning we all have the means to contribute in some way. Nail soup. I like that one. <laughs> However you've heard it told, it can be a lovely story. And there are variations across cultures and religions. In Buddhism, we hear about a cook making rice. In Northern Europe, it's nail soup. Elsewhere, it's stones, buttons, wood, or my favorite, and I want to see how this plays out, battle axes. <laughs> battle axe soup. Imagine that. <laughs> The way the story is often told, it's a celebration of kindness. But I would contend we need to celebrate the person who says to those who tell them, there is never enough, there is enough, and I will show you. That's the most important ingredient of all in the story. Knowing you have enough. It might not be exactly what someone wants, but it's a place to begin. Bernie Glassman, who I mentioned earlier, would go on to found a bakery you may have heard of it, called Grayston Bakery in Yonkers. 
Workers were all homeless or underemployed. They became famous for their brownies. They practiced zazen and a zendo in between making the brownies in the back of the bakery every day. And it still exists to this day. But it only came into existence because Glassman worked with what he had on a whim to make it happen. And those are the stories we like to tell, right? And it has everything to do with how we approach the ingredients to living that we all have. Because this was never about cooking. It was about, never about the chaos. It was only about being in the moment and using what's available. Now, we say we're enough here often. You hear me say it. You heard it in the poem earlier. We tend to lift that up quite a lot. You are enough. And I mean it every single time. And we'll keep see, saying it as a congregation. And there are those, and you might be one of them, and I've been there, that will never believe it. And there are those who will go out of their way to tell us that we are not enough. And that is why we keep saying it. Because we are. That doesn't mean we give up growing, changing, and so on. So yes, you are enough. This place is enough. And it will be so long as there are those who love and care for it. You are enough. I've been interested recently in studies emerging about my generation, the millennials. We've been alive long enough now that there's substantive data about us, and it's, it's kind of fascinating, but it's also heartbreaking. Eight in 10 millennials feel like they are not good enough in most aspects of their lives. Another six in 10 feel that society's expectations and the reinforcement of those expectations are unrealistic. Eight in 10 feel their health has suffered because of our culture. I know millennials are not alone in this. So much of what we face is not confined to generations, which is also why we as a congregation will keep saying, you are enough. We need not be yet another place to reinforce the suffering in our world, but rather a place that can be compassionate toward it and ourselves. Now, I think you know what's coming though, and I'm gonna say it. How can the ingredients for your life that you bring here each week be put to use? Might seem a little odd, right? I've just been talking about taking care of yourself, realizing you're enough, and let's get to work as a congregation. Do you want to be on the board? I can introduce you to some people. Would you like to empty the trash or pair that light socket somewhere, somewhere over there? <laughs> the heart of this is not an either-or conversation. The heart of this is that recognizing that right now, right now, now, we all have the ingredients we need as a community. We just need to believe that with what we have, we can all contribute something and something marvelous will happen. Because that's what happens week after week. And many of you know this. Many of you have discovered this. That moment when you find the place where you get to contribute to the ingredients you bring to this community, the things that you just carry around with you in your heart and mind, you come alive. I've seen you come alive. You felt it when you've come alive. Now, we've all been talking about love a lot lately, this month at least. Love of self, love of justice, and now, love of, I don't quite know what to call this. It's 
where the love of self crosses paths with the love of community. And if you have a name for it, I'd love to hear it. It's a generative love, grounded in the fullness of who you are and who we are, all of us. And we get to be a part of that. Here's some closing words from Dogen, from his instructions to the cook. Therefore, just know that in serving the assembly, there can be no fear of scarcity. If you do not have a mind that is limited, as a matter of course, there will be no lack of blessings. In other words, you are so enough. This community is so enough. Let's be a blessing together. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.